Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Samantha Denae, who is also known as the Endo Educator, for those of you who follow her on Instagram and other social media platforms. Um, She is an educator, a writer, um, and also living with endometriosis and working as an advocate for women's health and reproductive health. So, Samantha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, such a pleasure. So let's start from the very beginning. We like to start with the basics here. Can you tell us when and how you first realized that you were sick? Well, my cycle had always been bad. I started my cycle at 12 Mm -hmm. and it started off at seven days, super heavy, a lot of blood clots. Then that eventually turned to eight days. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I got sicker. And every time I would have my cycle, I couldn't eat for the first five days. I would throw it up Oof. automatically. I couldn't drink any water. I would throw it up. I would have to miss school, miss work, miss life, everything. Yeah. And one day I had my cycle and I couldn't walk. And that was the first time that I had ever not been able to walk. Mm-hmm. I would have like joint pain in my legs and everything, but it would still be okay enough. But this one particular day, I completely collapsed. And I went to the emergency room to try and figure out what was going on. And they swore that I was pregnant. And uh, <laughs> a likely story, right? <laughs> it's always, and it's always our fault. <laughs> it's always our fault. And I kept telling the nurse, it's my period. I'm always, my period is always like this every month. It's just, this is the first time that I've never been able to walk on my period. Mm-hmm. And so they made me take the test, of course, to see if I was pregnant. It came back negative. And Sent me on my merry way with my hundred dollar yeah. copay and my prescription for ibuprofen. That does not do anything for me. Yeah, gee, thanks <laughs> for nothing. Yep, exactly. It was. It was. It was. It was ridiculous. Mm. And it's and this is a very common story, isn't it? It's it like. Is. First of all, let's make sure you're not pregnant. Like, fair right. enough. We need to try, you know, test for these things before we mm-hmm. give you certain medications, right? right? But that that the onus is on you, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah. onus is on us as women that it's somehow our fault that our bodies are malfunctioning. And it's in our head. That yeah. That we're sick. Yeah. That's, that's the most offensive thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? it, it's, is. it really and it's, it's something that it seems that it's, it's this sort of a dinosaur way of thinking, like a way mm-hmm. that I hope is dying out, but yeah. it's left over from, you know, centuries ago when exactly. women were called hysterics and, mm-hmm. you know, nobody really cared to understand. And, Exactly. Now they're beginning to, but not everyone is. Not everyone is. That yeah. Wow. So when were you actually diagnosed with endometriosis? I was diagnosed in 2014. Okay. I just finished um, graduating college. Mm. Uh, before Six weeks before I graduated college was when I had heard the word endometriosis. Mm. And that was after uh, um, a near um, codeine overdose. Oh, wow. And that wasn't for fun. That was literally because of pain. Yeah, it was for my period. I was taking codeine for my period pain. And I wasn't uh, well educated in narcotics. Right. And so I had been used to taking 1600, 1800 milligram of medicines and being fine. So I took 36 milligrams of codeine thinking that it was nothing. Don't blame you. And woke up the next day out of Mm. it dizzy. I couldn't, I could barely hold it together. And so I went back to the doctor who prescribed the codeine pills and saw someone else um, who had, who was there at the office because the doctor who prescribed the pills weren't there. And mm. he was the one who asked me if I had painful periods, if I had any 
issues with going to the bathroom or if um, sex was painful? And the answer to all of those questions were yes. Yeah. But I think you have endometriosis. He gave me a pamphlet on it. He told me, you know, you can't be diagnosed through MRI or CAT scan. You have to have a surgery in order to be diagnosed. And at the time, I didn't want to, you know, miss finals and mm-hmm. miss walking across the stage. So I said, okay, I'll wait. And when I graduated and returned home from school, I went and saw my doctor and she found that I had two ovarian cysts oh, that wow. were both the same size as my uterus. And she said that my uterus. Oh my goodness. Yes. And she said that's, that that's not just a cyst. That's like, right. how are you walking around with that? Yeah. And she was like, my uterus is um, the size of an orange when it should be the wow. size of a lemon because I've never been pregnant or had kids. And mm. so because I had to get the cysts removed, they were about to rupture. I went on ahead and told her about the endometriosis. And when I had surgery, that's when they found it. Wow. So you've had the cysts removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and have they been able to remove the endometrium as well from your uterus? No. So when I had my first laparoscopic procedure, I was stage one endometriosis. Mm. And then three to four years later, I went to stage four. And mm. so when I had my second laparoscopic procedure, she was able to remove the adhesions that had grown, but not everything. Like I have um, I have a lot of scarring near my bladder, so it makes it hard for me to go to the bathroom or hold mm. my urine. So she wasn't able to remove that. And for that, I'll need excision surgery whenever wow. I can afford it. Wow. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the issue here, isn't it, as well, is that a lot of these surgeries are considered elective. Yeah. Um, and so the coverage for them is often... Not enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe you could also give us a little background for people who are tuning in and going endometriosis. Like, I think I know what it is, but maybe I'm not totally sure. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what endometriosis is? So endometriosis is basically a reproductive condition where the lining of your uterine tissue will shed on the inside of your body versus the outside. Mm-hmm. So when a woman who doesn't have endometriosis has her cycle, all of that will shed out of her body. But for me, some of it will shed and then some of it will stay left behind. Mm. And then the tissue and the leaf, the adhesions that get left behind gives, it's like a growth. It's like the growth, like the roots of a tree. It's like, mm. that's all they need to, to be able to start growing. And it can grow to any part of your body, any organ, on your lungs, your brain, your bladder, your colon, anywhere. It can wow. it'll spread like a cancer, but they don't call it cancer. But it is the precursor to ovarian cancer, especially if you don't, you know, find out that you have endometriosis. Right. And if you don't treat it, as it were. If you don't treat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with you, it was already very, pretty far advanced by the time you were actually diagnosed. And this seems to be a pretty common story too, right? That it is. either we're in denial of our pain or we don't have access to information growing up mm-hmm. that might allow us to understand that like perhaps our cycles, if people are having painful cycles or pain during sex and things like that, that that's not normal. Yes. Right. And that if you're having things like that, you absolutely need to get checked out and the sooner the better. Right. Exactly. That's what I, um, I advocate for mm-hmm. being able to pinpoint the, the symptoms, being able to advocate for yourself when you're going to your doctor So that when you go and you say, I have these issues, they don't, you know, do like doctors did me. When I would go to different doctors and complain about my period pain, they would always say it'll get easier as you get older when you have kids. Oh, they always say that, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. Yeah. And that's not necessarily true. And also, why should I have to have a kid to make it better? (laughs) And at that time, when I was getting those types of answers, I was I was in my late teens, early twenties, and I'm thinking, babies, like I'm not gonna have kids until I'm in my thirties, and mm-hmm. I like ten years I have to go through with all of this, and that's and that's unnecessary. That's all you're gonna give me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's all that a lot of doctors will give, and even though doctors seem to be educated when it comes to endometriosis, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the zebra, right? It's it's exactly. it's not the thing that they're looking for first. Yeah. It's, it never is. Mm. They look for everything else before they start really looking yeah. at issues. Absolutely. Well, and also because endometriosis requires the laparoscopic surgery in order to mm-hmm. be determined, which, and that in itself is invasive enough. A lot of people are happy enough saying I have endometriosis or endometrial symptoms, right? And like, 
they know pretty much they have it, but they're like, I don't need to get poked around unless I'm getting things removed. Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned how you teach people to advocate. Did you ever need a personal advocate at any point in your journey to figuring all of this out? I did, but I didn't have one. (laughs) Yep. Also a very common story. Yeah. So you learned to become your own advocate, right? Yes. So I could have used, I could have used anybody, especially in high school and college, because when my period would come, I get very narcoleptic. Mm. It's very hard for me to stay awake when my period is getting ready to come. So like I will go to I will go to class and I could stay awake long enough to say that I'm here. Right. But after that, I'm going to sleep and I can't help it. I can't yeah. stop it. I'm going to I'm just going to go to sleep. And so I wish I would have had an advocate back when I was in high school to come in and teach, you know, about these types of things. Maybe yeah. maybe at least I would have had an idea that it wasn't just me. I, I thought it was in my head for the longest. I would always tell myself the pain isn't that bad. It's not right. really that bad. You're just yeah. you're exaggerating, but I really wasn't. Yeah. And how does that affect your relationship to your body as a woman who's like coming into her own too, and like discovering your body, like, does it give you sort of a, a dysfunctional relationship to your body it, and your reproductive system? It does because a lot of people don't realize that our body listens to us when we're mm-hmm. speaking and so when we speak negatively about or to our bodies, they don't, re- they don't react positively to that. So I've come to learn that my body really needs to know that I'm not mad mm. at it for being the way that it is. Yeah. Then it just makes it worse. That's got to have been a process to go through. Sure. To Yeah. Because when, you're, when you're diagnosed with something like this, the first thing you ask is why. Mm-hmm. Like why did I have to be diagnosed with something like this? Like something that doesn't have a cure. Mm-hmm. I have to have a period. So yeah. I, it's not that I can stop having a period or make it go away. So that's the first question you ask. But then you, for me personally, I had to realize that I have endometriosis for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like God just said, all right, just going to mess up your reproductive organs. And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah I was given endometriosis which is, which is nobody talks about it and nobody really knows that much about it for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that was to be an advocate. So I had to let go of kind of the depressive state that I was in when I first Mm -hmm. found out about it. I had to really let that go in order to understand that the purpose is different and it's bigger than just me having endometriosis and bad periods. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you've also found community the more you've talked about it and advocated. I have. I have through Facebook and through Instagram and Twitter. I found a lot of women who mm-hmm. suffer and who go through the same things, but they don't have anybody to talk to. So I offer myself to be, you know, the person that they could vent to because you can vent to your friends, mm-hmm. but when they don't go through it, they don't really know or understand. Absolutely true. And in terms of, you know, creating this community and, and sort of finding these other women, are you finding that the stories are all very similar too, in terms of the way that they were diagnosed, the way that they've related to their bodies? Yes. A lot of women don't get diagnosed until, I don't want to say it's too late, Mm. but until it's too late, kind of sort of like, if you want to have children, Mm. By the time you find out that you have endometriosis, it's like the scarring has already done the damage and trying to have a baby is kind of out. Yeah. Unless you want to do, you know, IVF or a surrogate, but trying to do it on your own, that kind of just gets ruled out. Yeah. So in terms of the mental health aspect of this, were you able to get access to treatment? Was that something that you sought as part of getting better? Um, not not for my mental um state. Mm. I do need to though. I've been told by my aunt, she's a, she's a mental health advocate and she works, mm. um, she works with mental health patients and she's, she tells me all the time, you need to go see somebody and talk to somebody. Yeah. But I do meditate a lot. Um, so that's been really helping me move past like my fertility issues and everything. So that, that helps. But I do think that having a condition like this really does put a strain on your mental health. And like, I have a lot of anxiety around period especially when it's that when when I know it's getting time for it to come I get Mm -hmm. a lot of anxiety and we don't talk about the mental trauma that we go through with our period and how that affects us it's like a a, it's a form of PTSD that you're living with surely it is it it is they don't like to think of it that way just because Mm -hmm. it's your period and your period comes once a month and it's like yeah 
to well, be. and also, do you think it's also because the medical industry has for so long been dominated by males? I do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and also white males. It's like we're looking at a system where the studies are always leaning that way. So why would you study endometriosis or a reproductive health issue at all? Right. You don't have those organs to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. So why don't you tell us what a typical day is like for you or as you're navigating symptoms, perhaps around your period, um, what do you do now to, cause you've, you've started using holistic methods to mm-hmm. control your symptoms, haven't you? And they've worked really well for you. Yeah, they've been working yeah. well. So I try to plethora of birth controls that mm-hmm. do not work, that cause my period to be 90 days at a time. And so after about having 90 day periods for most of the year, for five years, I finally decided I was going to get off birth control, but I was very skeptical at first mm-hmm. because my period before I was diagnosed, was 10 times worse than after my diagnosis mm-hmm. with the birth control and everything. And so for a while, I just wanted to still keep the 90 day periods, even though they were bad and I had faint spells and mm. get sick and nauseous all the time, it was still better than my period, not on birth control. Right. So my, my body just kept telling me it's time. It's time. Like the birth control's not working. Like nothing's working. Nobody has any answers on why your period is lasting long. So my body was like, it's time. And I got off of birth control. And I started doing yoni steams, which are you take herbs and you steep them in boiling water. And this is herbs that you've actually procured from an herbalist. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. And and you put them in a toilet. You can use your personal toilet at home or you can use a pot and you pour the contents in it and just let allow it to steam your reproductive, um, your reproductive organs. And you'll be surprised at the things that you'll see or feel, you know, discharge wise that will be coming out of your body because we don't. We don't really look or pay attention to what we put into our bodies. And that has a really big effect on our periods. Mm. So giving up birth control, starting to do yoni seams consistently, meditating, yeah. change my diet. So I no longer um, do processed foods or red meat, no chicken, no turkey, no dairy. Mm. Dairy and chicken are the worst from yeah. my period. So... I had to cut that. I had to cut that out because of the hormones that they inject into the food, and I already produce too many hormones, so I don't need any extra, you know, hormones mm. added to my body. So change. That's my- a real problem, isn't it, with the food that it we is. eat? Because that's making us sick. Aside from keeping us sick, exactly. So changing my diet and changing the birth control method to no birth control has really helped, and the steaming has really helped with my flow. I don't. Mm. It's not as heavy. As it used to be, I don't, you know, use as many pads as I used to because I would go through a 40 pack of pads in like a week. Yeah. I don't have to to go through as many. And I use organic sanitary products as well. And that's been helping with my period pain too. A lot of people don't associate pads and tampons with period pain and cramping. And they don't understand that chemicals that are in the tampons and the pads have an effect on you on how much you cramp during your period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all stuff that we're putting on or in our bodies that can affect it. And what about, you also mentioned, you know, difficulties with your bladder and with mm-hmm. sex as well, yeah. painful sex. How are you navigating those worlds? Are you just sort of mindful of like, when you need to go, you need to go and, and making sure you have a partner who understands? Well, with my, with my bladder, it's whenever I feel the urge to go, I have to go right then. Like yeah. there's no holding it for me. Otherwise I'm going to have an accident. And I've had, I've had some accidents where I've used the bathroom on myself because I couldn't get to the bathroom in time. So mm. I'm looking into um, more herbal ways to treat my bladder. Mm. Um, my doctor, she just gave me some medication to help with the urgent consistency right. that I'm feeling. Um, so then when I do feel like I need to go to the bathroom, I don't have to go right then. I can just kind of hold it for a few minutes and make it to the bathroom, mm. but I'm going to need an excision surgery to remove all that scarring because that's right. why I can't, you know, hold, hold my urine anymore. But with relationships, when I was diagnosed with endometriosis, I was in a relationship and I tried to give him an out because I didn't know what was going to happen with my fertility. And mm. he was like, no, it's okay. Like, it's fine. We can work it out. We can figure it out when that time comes. So I was like, okay. And then a year later, I asked the question again. And he said, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. 
but he had been saying for months that he wanted to have a child by 27 and we were 26 and mm. wanted to get married. And I was just look like, who are you going to have this baby with? Because yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be me like next year. I'm not even, I'm not even there yet. Mm. And so he didn't, he didn't understand how endometriosis affected the body and how it affected me sexually. He didn't understand that the chemo treatment that I was taking for my endometriosis was putting me into into menopause, basically. And I didn't have a sex drive and he always wanted to have sex and it just didn't, it wasn't working and he wasn't getting it. And I think that, I think a lot of people who have endometriosis and are in relationships and I see a lot of women not complain, but they, they're always talking about how their significant other isn't as understanding or as patient with them with the condition because I don't think that they know much about it. But mm-hmm. I also think that it's because us as women who have endometriosis, we haven't completely healed from the shock of having it. Yeah. And we don't understand or take the time to try and figure out what works for our body so that we can have pleasant sexual experiences because I've had painful sex for the majority of my life. Mm. And I didn't know at first that it was the endometriosis. I just, I don't know. Well, everyone tells you the first few times yeah. it's going to hurt. Right? Yeah. It's like, really? Like, why am I being told that? <laughs> and I didn't, I was, I didn't know that it was because of a condition. So then when I found out that it was, I had to refigure out sexually how I could make it work for me. Yeah. Because at 25, I didn't, I didn't have a sex drive and I could care less if I ever had sex again. Mm. for the rest of my life and wow at 25 you're supposed to be having some of the best sex of your life that's what i hear (laughs) they say you know we we hit our sexual peak at 40 so at least until your 40s i should be in my 20s i should be at least having good sex and it i just wasn't but you also have to realize who is good for your body Mm because everybody and their energy is not good for your body and that you shouldn't engage in having sexual activity with them and i've learned that my ex was not good for my body. Yeah. Therefore, the sex was not good. And every time we would have sex, I would bleed. And I wouldn't be on my period beforehand. Mm. And all that energy of him not being able to understand and wanting to get what he wanted all the time, that my body could feel that. And that is how she would react. She would just bleed. Mm. So it's very tough to be in a relationship when you have a reproductive condition that really affects your sex and your sex drive, but and your your mental state too yeah, around exactly. sex. Yeah, and I, so I think it's important to really, really be able to connect with someone spiritually mm. before you take it to sex, because that'll have an effect on how well your sex life is going to be with endometriosis. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. It's probably good advice in general when it comes to <laughs> yeah. sex, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So we know that you've had trouble relating to partners, like trying to get them to understand what's going Mm -hmm. on in your body. You've struggled with doctors who don't understand the condition or, you know, certainly don't understand how to talk to patients about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Have you been in situations where you've had to justify that this illness existed to people who were in denial of the fact that it was happening? Perhaps even yourself? Myself. Yes. For, yeah. for a while. Well, it wasn't even the condition. It was just the fact that I, my period wasn't normal. So I had to convince myself that, no, something is really wrong. Like your period is not, yeah. it's not how it's supposed to go. So I had to do that. But I think the biggest person that I had to really sit down and like explain it so that they could get it was my mom. Hmm. My mom didn't, she had bad periods when she was growing up. And she would always tell me, I have bad periods and you have bad periods. And that's just, that's just how it goes. Yeah. So when I, when I got ready to have my first surgery, she was, she was against it. And I think she's just, my mom just against surgery period. So she, and I don't blame her because it is, that is something that's very invasive. Yeah. But. And she was against it. So she didn't, to her, I just had a bad period. That was it. Yeah. She, she didn't understand. And then once I was diagnosed, she still didn't, she still didn't really get it. When I would be changing birth control, she would always ask, you know, why you keep changing birth controls? Mm. You should be on it anyway. And that, and all this. And she was, she didn't understand it until last year when I had my second surgery mm. and my doctor had to explain to her what happened during surgery so that she could explain it to me. And during my surgery, 
my doctor found that that my tubes are completely blocked from the mm-hmm. endometriosis tissue. So naturally I won't be able to conceive. And so she had to really like explain that to her and explain why and explain the whys of the conditions and mm-hmm. why am I on birth control? Why do I have to miss work pretty often because of my period? Why is my period 90 days? And it's and his always on. Like she didn't, she didn't understand it until my doctor really sat her down and broke it down to her. That's and really I, great that your doctor did that. Yeah. And I tried, cause I've tried on multiple occasions and she still just didn't get it. Hmm. Sometimes I, you just need the medical authority. Yeah, which I don't fault her for because we don't have it. You you don't know, so it's yeah. okay. But I had to really, really explain it to her. But outside of that, for the most part, everybody usually comes to me and says, "I met somebody else who has endometriosis," but you're the first person that I know who has it. So can I just send them to you? <laughs> talk to them because I don't know what to tell them. So yeah. I, that's, that's what I usually get. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, you know, it's amazing to me, like we know that you're using meditation and, mm-hmm. and various holistic practices to sort of, you know, be in a good place with all of this, but mm-hmm. at such a young age to be told that your fertility is compromised mm-hmm. to know that you're dealing with the pain you're dealing with to even be on chemo, which you mentioned earlier that you were on a chemo treatment, which is such an extreme treatment, although this is also an extreme illness, mm-hmm. you know, how did you find information and like, cause you're the advocate, right? Like you're the pe- one that people are going to, how did you find the information that you needed to become who you are at this point? You know, like, was it just, you know, a, a series of doctors and speaking to professionals? Was it, you know, being on the internet and connecting to community? It was a little of both. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, diagnosed for maybe the first six months, I didn't have anybody else that I knew who had endometriosis. So I would really call my doctor all the time. And I had a personal number because I worked for the company that my doctor worked for. So I had a personal information. So I would just text her all the time mm-hmm. asking her questions. I know I probably got on her nurse, but that's okay. She <laughs> loves and so I didn't I didn't have any anything else outside of that for a while. Mm-hmm. And then Facebook, some, I don't think, I think one day I was bored or something. I don't know, but I found a group on Facebook, mm-hmm. women who had endometriosis. So I joined and once I joined and started reading other people's stories, I was like, okay, I'm not the only one. So that's good. Yeah. And a lot of other people's stories that I've read are way more extreme than mine. Like, I don't even understand how they are. People look at me and ask me, how am I still here? I these stories I hear, I want to know how, how are they still here? Because mm. it's scary the the things that they go through yeah. and, you know, having to quit their jobs and be on bed rest. Like that's, I don't, I don't think I could ever, even if my body did say, this is what you need to do. I don't think I could ever do that. So Facebook really was how I started to find people and Googling different things about endometriosis, trying to learn as much as I can because I didn't know anything about it at first, but really just reading other people's stories and mm-hmm. us asking each other questions is really how I started to learn about endometriosis and all of the effects and all of the different ways that it could really plague your life. That yeah. was then once Facebook came, that's when I, maybe like a year after I found a, fa- a Facebook group, I found maybe like three more and then mm-hmm. I went to Instagram and that's when I really started to, project my condition and really talk about it. And through Instagram, that's how people found me. Yeah. That's how I found you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, I, I sometimes I'm having this conversation with guests on the show and going in a way, this is the best time to be sick, right? Because of access to communities through the Mm -hmm. internet and people, but in other ways, it's still terrible because Mm -hmm. we're still women in a system. Yeah by men and you know but it's it's really interesting because it's it's enabled you to get your message out to more people because of social media this episode is sponsored by ember labs creators of the ember wave the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature i'm heat sensitive and this device has been a lifesaver using patented technology it cools or warms the temperature sensitive skin on your wrist creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. 
For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. So why don't you tell us a bit about the advocacy work that you do and and how you, you know, came up with this name, The Endo Educator, which I love, um, and sort of how that all came to life as part of your healing journey. Well, I don't know where The Endo Educator came from. I think I was just brainstorming, <laughs> thinking about all the things that I wanted to do around Endo. Mm-hmm. And I had already been kind of just posting different little things for people to look at who have Endo um, and I just, it just came out of nowhere. That's what the name came from, just out of nowhere. And it, it flowed. So I left it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, but being on Instagram and using Instagram as my advocacy has really, really helped a lot. Like I, it really helped me find women who are African-American mm-hmm. who have endometriosis because in my community, we don't talk about it. And so mm-hmm. once I started to build kind of, a bit of a platform on Instagram is when I started to really take my advocacy seriously. And I remember one day I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw that the endometriosis national foundation was looking for educators mm. to go, um, you know, to different schools just to talk about endometriosis in your state. And I was like, okay, I'll look into this and you didn't need any credentials, you know, like teaching credentials or anything like that. Yeah. You just, all you had to do was just sign up to volunteer. So I was like, okay, I'll sign up and volunteer to see, you know, if I could do anything. And the first school that I taught was my alma mater. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And I went to my high school and taught a class about endometriosis. And it was after I did that one class, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to go mm-hmm. to the high schools and I want to teach the kids about endometriosis. And then from there, it went from me teaching about endometriosis to teaching about endometriosis and how to advocate for yourself when you go to the doctor, how to take care of yourself when you're on your period. What is your period biologically? Because mm. these children do not know. Um, then that went to OBGYN talk and pap smear talk, and they don't know what that is either. And so I found that a lot of our children are just lost. They don't know yeah. anything. And it's ridiculous because the school system, you know, they won't teach you the basis of your period. They won't yeah. tell you that when you have your period, now is when you can get pregnant. Or biologically, your period is the lining of your uterus and it's just dead dead eggs and tissue that just needs to be de- detoxed from your body. They don't know that mm-hmm. if you have vaginal discharge, that if it does not smell, that's normal. But if it mm-hmm. does have a smell, then it's not normal. They don't have health insurance. They don't, you know, they don't know a lot of things. And so once I started to really go into the school system, that was when I really had the idea of, okay, it's more than just like going on Instagram and making posts about my endometriosis. Yeah. I have to really, I don't want, I didn't want my advocacy to be Instagram. Yeah. Like a lot of people, you know, go on Instagram, they talk about endometriosis or they talk about different topics, but they only use Instagram. Mm-hmm. or other social media platforms. And I didn't want to be one of those advocates that only use social media. And then that was it. And Absolutely. the only thing you see from me is when I'm in pain. I didn't want to do that. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start going to schools and volunteering and just teaching the students about endometriosis. And when I go to the schools, I always give them my Instagram information. They can feel free to DM me about questions that they may not want to ask in front of the other students about their cycles. Yeah. I've had students come to me and tell me like they haven't had cycles for eight months and that their doctors are telling them that it's normal uh. for them to not have cycles for a few months. And it's not. No. <laughs> and, so, and I don't understand why. So outside of me going to the high schools to teach, you know, I go to churches, youth groups, anywhere where anybody wants me to speak. I'll go to panel events and talk about endometriosis and women's health. Anything to me is advocacy. So if anybody wants me to come and do something to talk about my endometriosis, I don't mind doing it. Yeah. I told myself once I had got out of out of my depressive state of having endometriosis and really like sitting down and thinking about what it is, how my life is going to change now that I have mm-hmm. a condition. I told myself if I have to be the black spokesperson for my period, 
And oh well. So be it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be the spokesperson talking about my period. And yeah. But this is the important thing, isn't it? It's also an issue of representation, right? Like it's like yeah. we already know that we're in this medical system that's dominated by like old white men, basically. Right. You know, so possibly the first port of call is going to be a doctor, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who knows, like, what if you're an African-American girl and you're going to a white doctor, like, you know, what exactly. if you're not seeing yourself in the people who are telling you what's going on. And that um, was a for a while. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so get it. Yeah. And it's so important that, that you're out there really talking about diversity in mm-hmm. this disease as well. And that this disease has diverse symptoms and exactly. affects people in diverse ways. Right. Exactly, because a lot of people really tend to think that endometriosis cannot happen in black women. Like they Who think thinks that they think that it is. <sighs> I mean, I wish black women were immune, you know, but like, yeah, but who, to like, all like, women. exactly. Like I was talking to um, a doctor who specializes in endometriosis and mm-hmm. asking him about, endometriosis in black women and like how many people do you see or is there like any research or anything that I can at least read upon about endometriosis in in black women and he said they think it's they think it's invisible when it comes to black women they don't think it exists for black women so you're trying to find research on it you're not really going to find any and I haven't that's disgraceful isn't it it is I've tried to find a lot of research just on black women with endometriosis or even other reproductive diseases outside of fibroids because fibroids is just the one that we just all have to have. Right. And I can't find anything. Yeah. It's like, very, it's like very bare minimum on the things that I can find. Yeah. Well, but isn't that because of the bias in medical testing too yeah, and in trial groups and yeah. It is. They yeah. Don't, they don't want to believe that it can be nothing more than what they could solve with a birth control pill or put you through an MRI and say, all right, this is it. Yeah. We're gonna give you, we're gonna give you some time and see if it's gonna shrink and then you just come back. Yeah, you can't do that. Well, let's dig in a little bit to this the role of you know the p word privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that. You know, in terms of your specific health journey, can you talk to us about where privilege showed up, where it may have been lacking? Have you experienced undue judgment? Do you think because you're a woman of color living with an indiv- invisible, you know, reproductive illness? I think so. Um, because, you know, it, it tends to be a stigma in the medical community that African-American women can withhold pain mm. you know, at a higher standard than other ethnic groups, which I don't really understand. Yeah, that's BS. But yeah, that's BS. Um, so I've had those moments where I've been to different doctors who were Caucasian, either either, you know, male or female. And they just, they didn't, they weren't trying to listen to anything. Hmm. And I, and this was, you know, after my diagnosis and after I've had 90, 90 day periods for at least a good two years and yeah. nothing. It was, hmm. it was like the 90 day period. Like what, how can you be bleeding for 90 days? It's not I, 90 day fiance. It's 90 day period. <laughs> but I will have moments where I've been to the emergency room because I, just, you know, I can take it. And mm-hmm. been left in hallways. Well, wow. There's nothing we can do. Well, yeah. are you sure? Are you sure you're not pregnant? Um, let's go ahead and check your cavity to make sure, you know, like there's nothing there. They would they would try every other testing in the world. Mm-hmm. But the minute I say I have endometriosis. They just don't, don't understand. Know. We don't know. Yeah. It's really amazing to me because, you know, I also wonder, like, in terms of the medical care that you were getting, you know, like going to the emergency room, if you'd been a white woman showing up in the emergency room, would they listen to you more, you know? And, you know, I don't even, I don't, and I don't know if, because I know regionally things are different. Sure. No women who have endometriosis who live in the UK Mm -hmm. or women who have endometriosis and they live in Australia. Like those women seem to, from, from what I can tell, their government is paying attention. Mm. but here they are not, they don't talk about anything outside of breast cancer for women for the most part. And it's like, you know, everybody has breast cancer, but more women have endometriosis than Mm. when you have breast cancer. Do you think that's the mortality rate too? It's like, we know that people can die from breast cancer, but nobody's dying exactly from endometriosis, even though they could die from ovarian, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that a lot of people don't really take into consideration that because we're not heard, 
Mm-hmm. And that in turn will have an effect on your mental health. Like there are a lot of women who commit suicide. Yeah. Because nobody is listening. Yeah. It's a joke. And not once people start to commit suicide over a condition. It's bad guys. We got, can, we got to, we got to pay attention. We got to yeah. start listening and yeah. nobody wants to listen. Yeah. And, and what we already know is an epidemic in this country exactly. is that is that, you know, women are being ignored, but also that, that people of color, specifically women of color, are like yeah. the last people to get care are the yeah. first people to die. Off. Exactly. And I, I yeah. feel, I feel like there is a bit of privilege. Yeah. A bit. I'd say there's a lot. Yeah, there is yeah. a lot. But, and, and let's see, that's going to lead me into my talk of birth control. Yeah. Hit me. Because I feel like birth control is a form of general, general population control. You know what I'm saying? I feel like birth control was invented in order to stop Black women from reproducing. Wow. Look at me crazy when I say that, but think I don't think so. I think that's a really interesting... It's the first time I've heard that argument, and I am willing to hear you out on this one because I think... Yes. Okay, so birth control is was made Mm -hmm. so that you can not reproduce when you want to. It wasn't necessarily created for your period. Mm. And so now that they're using birth control methods to be able to regulate periods, you don't know what's in it. Yeah. No one ever tells you. You get the pamphlet, but who reads those? Exactly. Like birth control on the surface will help you, but you don't know internally if it's really helping you. Mm. And with all of these companies who have been giving out medications and drugs with cancer in them, I do not think that birth control having an effect on the infertility rate amongst people is super far-fetched. Yeah. Especially with women of color. Yeah. And, you know, like back in the day, your grandmas, your great-grandmas, they were, you know, reproducing at an alarming rate. You know, great-grandparents have like 13 kids. Yeah. You don't see people having that many kids. Like well, you can't afford to anymore anyway. <laughs> but you don't see people reproducing like that either. And, you know, hysterectomy, that's like one of the largest money makers in the medical, you know, community. Mm. And black women are the ones who are getting the hysterectomies. Wow. I've read stories where birth control has caused like so many issues. I know a young lady, she was on birth control and she ended up getting ovarian cancer, had to get a hysterectomy. I know another young lady who was on birth control. She had the IUD, mm. traveled somewhere else, lost her toes, <gasps> her arm. Like, wow. And so you can't tell me that birth control is doing more good than harm because there yeah. is absolute no way. And it yeah. was, and for, in, in my opinion, and in the research I've done and the people I've spoken to, birth control was really created to to be able to control the population so that people will not be able to reproduce at those higher rates and where where it has where it has a good purpose right where the idea is that women can have sex freely right like um the sort of the origins of its its use in the like the 60s and 70s you know during a lot of these movements for equality when they started or when they sort of became popularized right you know I, I think, sure, it has its use in that way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we all know Gloria Steinem has said, I should be able to sleep with whoever I want in mm-hmm. whatever circumstance I want. But by the same token, it's I'm really glad you're bringing this up because, you know, we see something becoming very popular in the wellness industry, which is discussions about hormone imbalance constantly. Mm-hmm. And most of the people, women who are dealing, and it's all women who are dealing with it, and most of the women who are dealing with it have been on birth control at some point in their lives because a lot of us when we're teenagers go on it because the doctor says, well, you're of that age, might as well take the birth control just in case. Mm-hmm. We know that birth control has numerous ill side effects and that, you know, when there was that birth control that was developed for men, mm-hmm. it was rejected outright because of the side effects, but the side effects for the women's for birth control are so much more, yeah. you know, the onus is always, always on us to bear the burden. Um, and so it's fascinating to me I, I think there was, I don't know if you ever saw, um, there was a wonderful like Twitter rant from a Mormon mom. I think she's got several kids. It was a few years ago where she, um, where she said that all pregnancies yes. are because of men. Because of men. I did read yeah. that. 
Yeah. You'll be right. <laughs> yeah. But now we're seeing so many doctors who are able to capitalize on hormone imbalance. And perhaps we could conjecture that that hormone imbalance was created by birth control. Now, that's not to say that birth control isn't wonderful for some people. I'm yeah. sure that there are a lot of people who use various yeah. forms and have a great experience, but it's not universally true. I'm someone who was on birth control for probably oh gosh, 20 years, you know, and didn't know until I was an adult that it was actually causing more harm than good. And I went off Mm -hmm. of it because it was masking a lot of the symptoms of my illness. And I got sicker because of, you know, being on it for so long and being dependent. Mm -hmm. But it's very interesting that like what we do is we hand women drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that that it could destroy them. Mm. Hand it out anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it sounds like, as you're saying, you know, the statistics among black women as well, mm-hmm. it's, it's something where like, obviously there are already more of these reproductive surgeries. So like removal of reproductive organs, like hysterectomy, so extreme measures being taken, but you know, is it that in predominantly African-American communities, the pills being handed out more or certain pharmaceutical companies are getting more of a buy-in from the local doctors Yeah. I feel like it's all about money. Yeah, it is. At the end of the day, when you trace it all back, it's money, isn't it? All about money. Yeah. Really fascinating. So let's dig in a little bit into the health system. I know it's a whole can of worms here, Mm -hmm. but just briefly, we know that we've, we've named a few ways in which the healthcare system is not working for patients, right? That like doctors aren't recognizing women's health issues, you know, handing out the pill, um, taking extreme measures with women's health. What about ways in which it's it's maybe working or practical ways in which you can imagine improvements in the system? In which way? I think it's working now that the conversation about endometriosis is starting to become more relevant. Mm. I I think I've seen some doctors who specialize in endometriosis um, on Instagram, and I think that there are some who really want to help and really want to figure out what's the root and the cause of endometriosis so that way they can figure out a way to, if not cure it, at least make it treatable and manageable so that way you can still have somewhat of a normal life. Um, But I do think that there are some who, you can tell them all the symptoms you have, but the last thing they're going to say is endometriosis. Now for me personally, my doctor who I have been going to for about two years now, she has been a very, very big advocate for me. Even when I want to advocate for myself, she was there advocating for me. It was, she told me for months to get off birth control. Oh, wow. And I didn't want to. And she kept telling me it's it's doing more harm. Mm. So I think in the medical society, if you have more doctors that can be truthful and more honest with you about the drugs you're taking, whether it's really working for you or not, and then having somebody who, if you don't want to do something, then they're okay with it. And they're not going yeah. to try to force you to do something else. And that's, that's a really big portion of having, of, of the medical community changing. Like they mm-hmm. have, to, you have to be able to, to know that if your patient isn't comfortable with taking something, yeah, you don't have to offer a different alternative for them. That's going to make mm-hmm. them feel comfortable instead of trying to shove it down their throat or shove another treatment that may not be like the one you just offered, but still yeah. like the one you just offered for you to, you know, shove it down my throat. That's, that's why I try and tell a lot of people, you got to make sure you have a doctor that will advocate for you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it also sounds like the work is in, cause so many doctors really do care, right? You know, they go into the field because they care, but it's about following through with that care yeah. and engaging with your patients on a level that's perhaps even beyond what you might've Im- originally imagined. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're sort of coming to the end here and I like to round up my interviews with some top three lists. Okay. And I'm wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who maybe suspects that like something's a little off with my period, or maybe they've even been diagnosed with endometriosis and they're already in this world. Um, They're living with some kind of reproductive Mm -hmm. invisible illness. What would you recommend to women who are living life like you? Um, The first thing that I would recommend is to look at yourself in the mirror and say, it's not your fault. Oh, gorgeous. That would be the 
first tip because once you can get past that it's not your fault that your period is like this mm-hmm. or it's not your fault that you have a condition that may cause you to not have children, then mm-hmm. I think being able to maneuver through having endometriosis will be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, another tip that I would give is to please change your diet. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to do, especially when you've been eating a certain way your whole life. It's very difficult yeah. to do. So I wouldn't just like change it cold turkey. Yeah. I would maybe like give up one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. So, but dairy, dairy yeah, no good. And not at all. All the all the hormones and the cheese. And I love cheese. I know. So, so do I and ice cream, but you're the, right. The hormones that are in dairy products. Yeah. If there's any chance that you'd like to get a little better. You have to give it, yeah. give a theory. Um, I will also say, drink green smoothies. Hmm. Green smoothies helps, especially in the morning. It yeah. really, it really helps my symptoms. Like sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll get up and my, I could feel my flare-ups getting ready to start. Yeah. But I cook a smoothie with a bunch of green vegetables, and that'll not only help my symptoms a little, but mm-hmm. it'll also help my body with nutrition. Yeah. It's also a part of the problem too. Nutrition. We don't give ourselves enough nutrition or we don't eat as much. Yeah. So I try to supplement with a smoothie that's full of vegetables and fruit. And that mm-hmm. really, really helps. What what do you put in your smoothie? I give us your recipe. <laughs> I, okay, so I juice uh, mm-hmm. green apples, which mm-hmm. either two or three, um, and I juice celery stalk. And mm-hmm. then and then I'll take those two and I'll blend it with avocado, mm. kale, um, a little bit of almond milk or coconut milk, just whichever one I have, and some ice. Mm. There you go. Sometimes I'll put um, different herbal proteins in it. I'll put some maca root powder in yeah. it, uh, which is good for your reproductive um, organs. So mm. I'll put that in there. And sometimes I'll um, use a little bit of um, ginger yeah, it's really good for your menstrual as well. Sometimes I do herbal teas. I drink mm. herbal tea, especially when I'm on my period. I'll use herbal teas a lot, and that yeah. kind of helps soothe the cramping. Yeah, that sounds really delicious. You're making me want one right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds wonderful. The avocado makes it creamy. That's why I like it. Yeah, and then with the milk that you're using, it'll add a little sweetness yeah. too, so yeah. it doesn't just taste like a salad. Yeah, it tastes like a salad, or you yeah. might throw, you know some organic honey in it. Mm. That'll that'll help with the yum. Mm-hmm. Okay, this sounds delicious. I'm gonna go make one right now. <laughs> it will really help. It's when I drink those green smoothies, my body mm-hmm. is like, girl. Yeah, you miss me feeling good, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so it does a little happy dance. Yes, it's like my body is like not thirsty anymore once I drink mm. this. Like finally. Yeah. And we do need those nutrients. And you're right. They're not part of the standard American diet. Certainly not enough. You know, if we're getting our five a day, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you need more. You do. Yeah. Especially especially when it comes to like um, green vegetables that are like really Mm -hmm. high in iron. Yeah. Because of the blood loss that we lose. Yes, absolutely. Got to make sure you eat fruits and vegetables that will really help supplement the blood loss. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more top three list. Okay. This is top three things that you are unwilling to compromise in your life that give you great joy or comfort. They might be comfort activities when you're having a really bad cycle. They could be guilty pleasures or secret indulgences. What are your top three? I will not compromise. These things give me joy in your life. Sushi is one. Because eventually, eventually I'm going to probably go to no meat. Yeah. Sushi is like the one piece of food. That You're I still can, holding on. <laughs> yeah. I cannot give it up. And I'm going to learn how to make sushi myself. But oh, wow. I can, I can make it at home. But I could give up everything else. Yeah. Writing. I love to mm. write. Yeah. Doesn't matter what kind of writing, um, especially poetry. Poetry writing, I can't mm. give up. That's and you've published poetry. a few books too. Yes, I have. I have. Mm. So I can't give up writing. I can't give up my characters that I've created in my head. Mm. Um, What else can I give up? Even though I don't do it as often as I would like anymore, and that's because my period was 90 days at a time, and every time I would do this, it would make my period start. But Mm. working out, Uh, I love to work out. Yeah. I do it all of the time. 
Then once my period got to be 90 days and it started going all out of whack, whenever I would go and try and work out, my cycle would stop. So mm-hmm. I stopped working out for a while. And I don't know my birth control and I have my diet a little bit more together. My period doesn't start when I work out. So yeah. now I want to get back into the habit of working out more regularly because I think that'll really, really help with my symptoms. I think that's wonderful. And there are so many wonderful options now with adaptive workouts mm-hmm. and, and yeah. like gentler workouts with yeah. different apps available. So there's a lot of options out there for you too. Yeah. Eventually I like to get certified in yoga. That'd that's be lovely. On, that's on my list. I could see you really becoming like a holistic health coach between the women's reproductive health. and I, That's the goal. Yeah. That is it, the goal. I, I didn't know that was the goal for a while though, but. That but is, now the universe is speaking. Now the universe is speaking and I'm listening and mm-hmm. that's the direction that, that it's heading me to. Yeah. I like it. I really yeah. Like it. I do too. I like the sound of it. I'm like, I'm ready for my consultation. <laughs> I, I am very excited to be able to help a group of women mm. who otherwise may not have found somebody yeah. to listen. Yeah. Most people won't even listen. Absolutely. I've got one more question for you, actually, okay. which is you did mention that chemo is a treatment. Is that a common treatment of endometriosis too? It is. Mm. And they give this chemo treatment to men who have prostate cancer. Mm. They also give it to women with endometriosis to slow down the growth. Um, right. So it works, I guess. Um, yeah. Chemo is a tough one because it has so yeah. many bad side effects. That's what I didn't like. So it helped mm. my period. I didn't really have a period. Um, I had like spotting, but it wasn't that bad. And mm. But the side effects, I was exhausted all of the time. Like getting out of the bed to take a shower. Yeah. That was, that was too much work to do. Yeah. And so... Besides that, and then the menopausal side effects with with no sex drive and the hot flashes and the night sweats, mm. I was over it. Yeah, and I was like, I don't care if it is kind of helping my period. I can't do this. And there's got to be a better way to do it. Yeah, yeah, something else. And that they will offer and offer and offer and offer the chemo mm. as much as they as much as they can. But I am very much an advocate for do not try it. Mm. Stay away from the birth control. Stay away from the chemo. Try the holistic methods. Try holistic method. If you have to do birth control, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it, it works for somebody. Maybe if my period wasn't 90 days and it had came, became more regulated, maybe I might still be on birth control myself. I don't know. Yeah. But I would I would try birth control to see if it will alleviate some pain for for you. But chemo, I would I would just know. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would I would at least try birth control to see if it would at least help regulate. And if it does and you like it, then, you know, that's you. But just me personally, it mm. didn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. But it was really interesting that, like, you really tried everything and you've ended up with the most natural method is the yeah. one that's working really for you. Did. I really tried it all. It didn't mm. work. Yeah. Well, Samantha, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners before we sign off? Certainly tell them where to find you and your work. Yes. Try organic pads. That is ah. the message I try to tell everybody. Try organic sanitary products. They sell them just about everywhere these days mm. now. You can find them at Target, Walmart, any grocery store. Try yeah. organic pads and see just how much of a difference your period cramps are and your blood flow. Mm. See how much of a difference that'll have. And don't go back once once you like it because you're gonna like it and you're not gonna yeah. or cups maybe as well yeah, for people. Who, I was just yeah. say, or the cup. I don't use the cup. I haven't gotten there yet. But my I do hear really good things about it. A lot of people I made the it. switch. Yeah. I, I actually did. I made the switch a couple of years ago and I am so glad I did. Yeah, I hear that all the time. So yeah. one day I'm gonna try the cup. One day, but yeah. But people try the organic pads. Yeah. At least start start with that and then yeah. at least continue. at least start organic pads because the always brands the culture yeah. they have those chemicals in it and you will be surprised how how much of a difference your cramping pain will be just by changing mm-hmm. your pad because chemicals make a difference guys chemicals really do make a difference yeah and that's close enough to your body or yeah. in your body in your body is exactly yeah. for it to be able to catch all the contact and all the chemicals yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and now where can the listeners find you if they want to follow you so on Instagram, you can find me at underscore Samantha Danae underscore. Um, you spell Danae, D-E-N-A-E. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, my um, public page is Samantha Danae. And on Twitter, Samantha Danae 08. Amazing. And your website? 
My website, www.samanthadene.com. When you go on my Instagram and you go to my link tree and my bio, it'll have everything you need. That's perfect. Well, Samantha, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today and I've learned so much from you and I I hope our listeners will um, find this to be really inspiring and especially to all of the people who identify as female out there or have female parts, go have them checked out um, and make sure you're taking care of your body. Please. And if your doctor is not listening, find another one. Yep. I love that. That's another tip for the list. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.